Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Den Talks podcast is powered by denanywhere.com. You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived. So if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Hey guys, welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. We've got DeAndre Sinet on today and I'm excited. Um, he's actually coming onto the Den and starting to teach with us and he has an amazing Yoga Nidra workshop coming up August 8th, so make sure you do that. But the reason I'm excited about him is he is just so real and so truthful and just strong in his opinions and who he is and not afraid of making a difference and a change. You know, when we discuss a lot in this episode about how it's really easy for the wellness community to kind of bypass and rise, quote unquote, above, you know, what everyone thinks is actually going on versus kind of digging in and having an opinion and, you know, taking action in what's going on. And so really chatting with him about it is really fascinating. But more importantly, also, I just really love that he has a very relatable story. This is a guy who had a troubled childhood. He, you know, had mental abuse, physical abuse, and, you know, it followed up in depression. And so many of us have gone through this. And it is so important for us to honor our own mental health and know that we have to honor ourselves and really dig in to make those changes to ever be happy. You can move a million times. You can do a million different things to try and make yourself happy. But until you do that work, it's not going to change. And so we talk a lot about in this episode, which I I think is so important. He is great. He has a great voice. I really hope you enjoy it. Let us know. Go to our Facebook page, Den Talks Podcast, and let us know. Hi. Hello, hello. <laughs> Staring, I'm like, oh God, this is not pretty right now. But we'll- You're good. <laughs> We're in it. <laughs> um Yay, DeAndre, I'm so happy. I'm sad we didn't get to talk last week, but this is perfect. It always works. Yeah, out. I totally butchered. <laughs> happens and it's you know for the first two months we were up online for quarantine yeah. texted every teacher every single morning about class for over two months it Dang. was three months i was like okay they've got to have figured this out by now but i was saying like time is such a different construct oh it's so different <laughs> like even i've been you know i've been making i've been doing music again and this has been taking a like i'm doing my meditation teacher training and I'm doing my music 
in between those, like, I, I'll be doing music for like eight hours and it literally feels like 30 minutes and, you know, I haven't eaten and I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Like, <laughs> I just entered this vortex. It's so crazy. It is. It's like time <laughs> all of a sudden is just really different. Same thing mm-hmm. here. Like Nicole and I were talking about dates. We're like talking about September. We're like, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> crazy. So let's talk about you though. Woohoo. Woohoo. <laughs> you got to be more excited than that. <laughs> So you're living in Studio City now, but where are you from originally? Before I am you- from uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. So yeah, I grew up in I grew up in Dallas, Fort Worth. I was born in Louisiana, um, spent like seven or eight years in Florida, um, and then I moved to Fort Worth. And then after Fort Worth, I moved to downtown Dallas. And then after downtown Dallas, I have landed here. <laughs> You've been a Southerner, like you're a Southerner. I'm a Southern boy. <laughs> You like? Does it feel? Do you? Does this feel like home, or does this feel totally weird to you to be in Los Angeles? It's a little bit of both. Like I have really been blessed with really amazing. So my best, like the best friends that I have here currently, are they're also from the south. <laughs> so it's actually really funny how that has like one of my best friends who came over to celebrate my birthday yesterday. She is at, She grew up twenty minutes away from where I grew up. Wow. And, but you yeah. didn't know. We didn't know each other. Yeah. We didn't know each other. Not interesting how like, like just attracts like. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. It's like, no matter where you go, you end up finding, like I'm an East Coaster and I feel like no matter where I live, I find like other East Coasters. Yeah. And, it's so cool. Yeah. It's weird. It is, I guess it's an energy thing. Mm-hmm. You didn't know each other at all. Yeah. We didn't know each other at all. We actually met at this, um, I don't know if you've ever heard like a co-living community. Um, it was called Haven. Yeah, it was Haven. And so, yeah, we met there. And that's actually probably a good chunk of my current best friends, um, besides the ones back home, but that I've made here in LA. I've almost made all of them like bonding, especially through the pandemic, because I, I moved from there, but we all were there at one point during the pandemic and just like being kind of having to grow up together through, you know, the uncertainty of life was, it was really cool to like have that solid foundation of community when everybody else was just like kind of being forced to be secluded. Well, I was going to say, talk to me a little bit about what the co-living situation, like what are the rules? What is it about? Um, Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it was, it was really, it's like, it's, I feel like it's like a science project <laughs> on humanity. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting. It's a health, it was called, it's called Haven and it was a health and what it's a health and wellness based co-living community and it's in Venice and they have like eight townhomes all nestled just next to each other perfectly. And so the front houses, the front house has the kitchen, the um, common like living room and then the girls also sleep upstairs so it's like a three-story every townhouse is three stories and um and then the guys sleep in the back houses and then they, they also have like other amenities in those back houses and it was really interesting to like navigate I think that without that experience of being in community because I didn't go to college so I never actually got you know, that that feeling of um, being in community with a whole bunch of different flavors of people. And so I feel that if I wouldn't have had that experience of, of being at Haven, I wouldn't have grown up 
to the person that I am right now because I feel like I've grown like a decade worth of wisdom in living there right. maybe in like 10 months just because you like have to learn how to to operate as a part of the collective you know we are individuals but we are also a part of the collective we are all one so like that was like really emphasize living there like we aren't all going to get along but we all have to do our part to make sure that there's harmony now do you guys like cook to get like what are the what are there any rules or is it and you have to apply you do have to apply it's an application based um it's like a membership and so yeah i mean like there are four different kitchens and definitely you know you would wake up and you go downstairs or, you know, enter for me, enter um, the front house. And there's at least two or three people, you know, cooking breakfast. And there's deep conversations every, like, every morning you get to, like, that was the kind of the really cool thing was you're literally just, like, so, especially since it was health and wellness-based, we had a lot of, you know, like attracts, like, um, people there. And so, you know, wake up in the morning, you go to the kitchen and you make your breakfast, but you also have like this two hour deep, intimate conversation about life. <laughs> and that was, that was just every day. Um, every day. Every day. <laughs> Is it like, I know these are dumb questions, but it's always fascinating. Is it kind of like everyone buys their own food and keeps it there? Mm-hmm. Or Yeah. Yeah. So we had like different, we had different sections, you know, we had different, pan- uh, we had like, it was, it was pretty cool. There were two refrigerators and like a big freezer. There was like a big freezer, a community freezer in one of the houses. But then just like regularly, there were two refrigerators that also one of them had like a bottom freezer. But we did a system where, you know, we would have kind of like cubbies and we would have um, our names on them. And that's where our designated stuff. And it made you also what was really cool about that. Before co-living, I would usually like buy my groceries, you know, I would buy a whole bunch of groceries um, at one time and like half of it would go to waste just because I didn't eat it or it, you know, it spoiled before I ate it. And so with living at, at Haven, you know, you don't have the most space. So you actually have to think about, you have to be a lot more selective and a lot more intentional in your, you know, in your shopping um, and understanding like excess like that was the one thing that I really understood well like I've never been a hoarder (laughs) luckily I've always been a minimalist but that like it like emphasized the minimalism a lot but that's true though I guess and also because things are kind of on display so you're you Mm -hmm. become like a mirror to yourself of like I'm assuming same thing with like clothes because you're sharing rooms with people or no yeah yeah yes we have uh the guys we have eight guys in a room but we all have pods um, so it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of private, kind of not like, it's not sound like the pods aren't soundproof. Um, but yeah, we, we sleep with eight or seven other guys, um, in the room and the girls, they have four to six and they have bigger beds. Um, but they had, they have more storage too, which kind of sucked, but <laughs> well, but I actually got to, there was one house that actually was special where there weren't enough girls. So they made half of the front house a guy house. And so I got to reap those benefits for like half of my stay. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it was really awesome. It was so much. Yeah, the experience was awesome. <laughs> Did there get like, were there clicks though, like within this? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Like the houses, because there were four houses and every house 
actually like kind of created its own energy and to go like definitely we had like bonding you know how bonding happens when you naturally like the proximity effect you know you're you're around these people but you also have what i saw a lot was those that went through like were vulnerable with each other and like went through healing with each other those were the deepest like kind of group friendship groups that were bonded there because not everybody you know not everybody goes there to do that type of work and you know you don't even sign up for that type of work kind of like it spontaneously happens when you when you have the right environment but yeah they definitely like people drew like it was like kind of like we had different branches of friend like friend groups even though we were all friends it was like okay we definitely spend time more with these people versus these people and sometimes you would never go into other houses too. <laughs> See, no matter what the living situation is, like life just starts to happen. It's so mm-hmm. What now, was that your first living situation in Los Angeles or no? No, I actually moved to, uh, I was first living in Century City next to the mall. Different. <laughs> Much different. <laughs> what were your impressions? Like coming from the South, moving here, did you struggle at all? Like how... LA can be a tough place. Um, it's a, it's a, I have like multiple answers to that, but I'm going to try to answer that as simply as possible. So I, the struggle that I found of being in LA when I first moved here was trying to meet the expectations and whose expectations the expect like the expectations that I thought were perceived on me, but also just like kind of a self projection as well. And then also going into the space of why am I still depressed if I'm in what I thought was the perfect environment? You know, I escaped what I thought was, was trapping me. And now I am even more depressed because I'm in a place where I thought would free me, yet I still feel trapped because I haven't changed the core, those deep core wounds. And so, yeah, LA, like I had a few panic attacks the first few weeks that I was here. Um, I, I am lucky that I am involved. So I'm, I'm sponsored by Aloe Yoga. So I was lucky to have like a community to already drop into. Um, and so in that sense of space, I did feel a little bit more welcome than most people probably do feel when they move to LA. <laughs> like I immediately, you know, was able to go to the green and, you know, do acro with some of my people that I followed on Instagram and, you know, it was really cool. Um, but at another, like the mental aspect though, yeah, it was really hard because I expected this to be my you know, my, my place of, I was escaping where I had felt, felt like I had outgrown and coming here. It was just like, you, if you don't change your inner environment, you will still carry this tension everywhere you go. So, I mean, it was a blessing though, because I, you know, I had to take that step to, to acknowledge that. Like, I don't know how much more prolonged my chronic depression would have been if I didn't move to LA because it showed me so many aspects about myself. 
So talk about, you said you felt trapped and you moved here and still felt trapped. What did, what was making you feel trapped? Um, it was like my inability to do what I knew what I was here to do. And it was like, so when I was back in tech, so I grew up abused and mentally and physically, emotionally, and that led to me having suicidal depression um, for most of my life. Like there was not a time, you know, most people, you know, endure that pain kind of when they're teenagers. But I ne- like even going back to toddler, like I don't feel like I was ever safe. Yeah. Um, so I never had family. Re- like parents was this like everyday parents type of stuff or whoever was raising yeah it was yeah well my real father wasn't in my life um it's still not in my life but he I never knew him and then so my stepfather I think I was a year like yeah a year or something when he came into the pic I didn't know that he wasn't my father actually until I was like 10 years old when they told me but yeah it's crazy um yeah, so he was the main culprit. Like he, I don't know what, I do know, I do know now that I have grown a lot more, I know that, you know, his parents were very, you know, he grew, he was in the military and his parents were also kind of like that as well. His dad was, I think they were both in the Navy. And it's just a lot of, a lot of um, cycles of pain that, and then nobody helping or allowing them nobody giving them grace to heal. And so when you have so much pain and you don't even have the tools to know what to do, you know, to overcome that pain, then the only thing that you know how to do is to instill that pain. And so that was just like my childhood. I was always wondering, you know, what, like, I felt like existing was the, was a bother. (laughs) And it just, I was going to say, was there anything that set him off or was it just everything? No, it was like I, so I also like my big sister. So my big sister, she, me and her share the same father, which is not the step, this person I'm talking about. Um, and so she very smart, like very, very smart, um, very achievement based in high school. And me, I was more creatively inclined like I did not learn like my big sister and that kind of like those expectations were pushed on to me and so like simply because I was not kind of that same I'm a very you know I'm a cancer so I'm a very flow and intuitive type energy um, which I have been ground like I've been working on grounding all of that lately but yeah, as a kid, you know, you don't you don't have these awarenesses of yourself as a kid. You you just move with whatever life, you know, has made you to be. And so I felt like he also like not being his real son and then only being the only other like boy male in the house. Like I have three sisters and a mother. Um so it was just like I don't know, there was a lot of pressure and because I wasn't book smart even though I was phenomenal at like creativity, like I was so good (laughs) at like art and stuff like that. And because I wasn't book smart, I, you know, I would have to feel like I would have, I would hide my report cards. I would, um, because I would get, you know, I would get, I would either get lectured for three hours or I would get 
a bit like I would get a you know a whooping and it wasn't just a little you know it wasn't a little slap on the butt it was like I have welts on my legs you know from it um and I'm crying and they're like stop crying and I'm like well I you know you're enforcing this pain into me I don't know what else to do like as a child like going back to being like seeing myself as a child you know I, I was I was forced to cry from pain but then also told not to cry, you know? And so like all of these little things, and I struggled to cry as an adult actually because of that. Did you start to not cry? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I cried, I cried so much, like so many nights I would cry myself to sleep and, you know, I wouldn't want to even go to school because my eyes were puffy (laughs) all the time. Um, But yeah, it was like the two biggest things that I got in trouble for was saying the words, I don't know and crying and so, you know, that created a response of me, like, I hated, uh, as an adult, I was a very, like, so much know-it-all, you know, because I got punished for not knowing. <laughs> and then, like, with crying, it was just like, I am a very emotional man, you know, I have a lot of feminine energy in my life. And as a cancer, you know, the feminine energy runs rampant. I'm a double cancer. I'm cancer moon and cancer sun. You're a cancer so, yeah i mean so yeah that's wow that's hard yeah it's 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 definitely a gift and and it's a gift and a curse um but yeah it's so interesting to go back into that to that space of looking at the you know the younger me i actually had a psychedelic um trip that led me to going back in time and like seeing a certain memory of me being I was nine years old. I think I was eight or nine years old and I was crying in my, in my corner, you know, in my bed. And I like in that psychedelic trip, I was, I was like that voice in your head that you hear. And it was like, you're going to be okay. You're going to turn out to be okay. Like you're going to, you're going to overcome this. And it was just like seeing that memory go from this, this deeply aching heart, you know, of a little boy with tears flowing into like, changing that memory into a boy that is now, you know, wiping away the tears and smiling and like seeing the future, like there is potential. How did your mom play into all of this? Um, My mom is a queen of a woman. She, you know, she endured a lot of that abuse as well. And that actually, I um, do know that that played in a lot with why she left, why they decided to divorce I remember um, the last time that this is like one of the last memories that I have actually of just like any little thing set him off. We were, I was in the kitchen eating, um, eating breakfast with my little sister and, you know, my um, stepfather, you know, moved, he came into the kitchen and I burped a little bit. (laughs) I burped a little bit. And I said, excuse me, but I guess he didn't hear it. And he was like, you're going to say, excuse me. And I, you know, I said, I did. And he was like, you going to talk back to me. And so he starts, you know, he starts yelling and my mom, you know, comes into the room and she's like, what are you yelling at him for now? And I was like, 
he he thought I didn't say excuse me, but I did. And he like he he had the refrigerator door open. And he like slammed the door. And he was like, "What'd you just say?" And then my mom like asked my little sister. She was like, "Well, did he say it?" And she was like, "Yeah." And he literally like just like stormed off into his into his little study. And I could tell that like even going back back into those memories, like my mom was just so fed up with how much she had to endure, but also like the in having to endure, see your children in pain, you know, by a man that isn't even their blood. Like I definitely know it was painful and she definitely inflicted some pain as well. More, more like my younger, like preteen, preteen, young teenage years, but she grew into like, I think it was like a lot more, she was always in fight or flight because of him as well. So, you know, I practice a lot of grace for my mom and she, you know, she even tells me, she's like, I can never forgive myself for allowing you to be treated like that. But I I tell her, I'm like, I've already forgiven you. You have to forgive yourself now. (laughs) Like, don't like you don't feel bad. Like I've forgiven you already. Were you picked on or targeted more than your sisters? Yeah. Yeah. Like way more. I actually like, there was a time that I got my um, eating privileges taken away. Like I wasn't even able to eat unless I did a certain thing. Um, and yeah, my, I remember my sisters like sneaking food up to me into my room. And my, yeah, I think my mom did that too. What'd you say? How long was it taken away for? Do you remember? <sighs> felt like it was like two weeks, but it felt like years, you know, you like when you can't, yeah, you can't, you know, when you can't eat like on demand, like when everybody else is eating, it's like. <laughs> also like as a parent, and we know this, like it's like you hear parents who are struggling to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing you hear from a parent, it's like if they can't feed their children, it's one of the most awful things. So it's crazy that like that was the punishment. It wasn't like you're missing this meal because you weren't, it's like two weeks yeah i spent most of my i actually spent most of my life like grounded um and like even birthdays like birthdays i never really did a lot for my birthday just because i was always grounded on my birthdays did you struggle to know what was right and what was wrong um like everything was wrong yeah it felt like everything that i did was wrong but i had like ever since i was a child i had this innate like that's one thing that i have had the ability of just an intuition of knowing what is good and what is right, uh, what is good and what is wrong. Um, I was very, even before I knew I was spiritual, you know, everything is spirit, but before I even had that understanding, I experienced so many different phenomena, like when I was a child and I, everybody liked scary movies in my family growing up. I didn't, I couldn't, I was like, this is too real. Like I actually had, I remember I ran out of my house one time at like 3 a.m. because I felt like spirits were trying to get me. Like, and I told, you know, I told my, I told my parents that and they were like, you're crazy. Like this ain't happening. (laughs) And I'm like, no, there are literally like faces like in my face. Like I can't move. Like I had so much sleep paralysis as a child and I would just see these scary figures. Yeah, it was crazy. Do you, is that something now, like in a more developed state, do you feel like you still see spirit? No, I mean, when I'm on psychedelics, I definitely feel like I see, 
like I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's like a it's almost like a shadow. Mm-hmm. Um and what feeling do you get from the shadow? It depends. Yeah, there's there's definitely like cuz you know that not all spirits are good. No. So <laughs> that's something that I learned real fast when I started to enter the world of psychedelics. I was like, okay, this is this is something that I have to be careful with. Um, especially like I do not astral project. I do not. I am so about staying here as a human being in my body. Like this is why we've chosen to come here. You know, if you astral project, more power to you. But I've just experienced some really crazy things in the spirit realm. So I, you know, I try to stay human um, and still, you know, move within this life with knowing that everything is there's nothing that is not spirit, you know? So, yeah. Well, it's interesting because you said earlier, you've been doing a lot of work to ground yourself more. Mm -hmm. That's your journey is actually to ground. Like maybe in your past, you were more of one of, you know, an astral projector. And so this, maybe this is about learning to like stay put a little more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely believe that. So you said that you thought your stepdad was your dad until... Mm -hmm. 10? Is that what you said? Until I was about 10, like nine or 10, give or take. So talk about that moment. That's a lot. Like whether he was good to you or not, that's a huge identity thing. It really was like, <laughs> I still remember when it first happened. Yes. Yeah, my, you know, they sat us down on the, on the couch and they told us and me and my sister are, are completely worlds different too. Like that even showed in our reaction. I don't think she reacted as as uh, as harshly as me. I was like, I know, I, I think I was hysterically crying. It was like you lied to me. Yeah. <laughs> there is that sense of like, there's that sense of betrayal. I think it would have been a lot different if I liked him, if he treated me well. But the fact that you know I had to endure this this pain that he was inflicting me and he wasn't even my real you know my blood um it definitely and I think that also caused more hostility after you know they told me because you know now it's like he's hostile towards me but now I'm like also just like oh I don't want to be here with this man (laughs) wait so they told you before they were getting a divorce yes 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 yeah what spurred them all of a sudden telling you like what? Um, I don't know. I actually have no idea what prompted them to tell us when they told us because they didn't get a divorce until I was 16. Oh, wow. So it really was. That's interesting. Yeah. And then yeah. did you have, I'm sure you had a ton of questions about your, your biological dad. Yeah. Yeah, I actually never knew. I didn't even know his name up until... I didn't know his name... Um, I don't, my mom definitely didn't like to talk about it, um, caused her too much pain. I don't even, yeah, I don't even remember knowing what he looked like, um, until he reached, he actually, the first time I ever heard from my biological father was on Instagram. He like, (laughs) he messaged me on Instagram. He was like, this is your real, this is your father. And I was just like, who? Like what are you t- like who what are you talking about? Are you like why are you playing like who does this? Like who says this? And then I you know I look at his I went to his Instagram. And I was like, "Oh my gosh. He looks like my big sister." 
this is i was just like whoa okay maybe this is my real father and apparently i think he like some i think one of his family members saw me in a magazine i was in mantra magazine um or like saw that i had posted about it or something like that and he reached out to me after seeing me in the magazine um and i was very you know i was very gentle towards him i he just was like you know i apologize for not being able to be there in your life um i and i really see that he didn't have the capacity to so you know bless his heart i i even say you know i pray for my ex-father figure you know i no longer see there is no profit in you know, holding resentment against who hurt you because at the end of the day, the resentment hurts you. Um, and so I told him, he like asked to be a little bit more, you know, a part of my life. But I told him, I was like, you know, I'm trying to heal my family wound in the first place. Like, I don't even call my, like at the time, I was like, I don't even call my mom enough. Like, <laughs> there's no way that I'm going to make space for you, especially since seeing that he wasn't really aligned with kind of the vision that I was moving into at the time, but I gracefully, you know, was just like, you know, um, thank you for reaching out and, you know, I respect you and yeah, I forgive you. And so with, that's beautiful by the way, because oh, thank you. when you can't, when you hold on to resentment, it just slow torture. It is. <laughs> it just really is. And you think you almost feel like you're doing it to hurt the other person. Like they don't deserve, I mean, that's my favorite. They're like, they don't deserve my love. And you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe they don't, but like, you're only just like hurting yourself. It's not about whether they deserve it or not. Yep. Yeah. So, so all that, I mean, this is a lot. So you said you had chronic depression. So when did you mm-hmm. like, when did you start realizing or feeling that depression was kind of integrated into your life? When I, so, you know, as, you know, moving through high school, I definitely, I even told, I think there were times where I was like, I told my parents, I was like, I'm going to kill myself. And they, I I did call, I, I did call child protect, like I reported child protective services one time. Um, and, you know, but they didn't believe me. And um, so that caused even more. I was like, nobody, like, there's nobody on my team. Like, there's nobody that is looking to protect me. And so, yeah, I was very, like, kind of just, like, guarded and anxious um, going through high school. And then being an adult, it really started to hit when I couldn't leave my bed sometimes. Like, there were days where I laid in my bed, like, 14 hours. You know, I, could, I felt paralyzed. And I was like, why, like, why can't I do, why can't I do what I want to do? Like, what is going on? And that was like, when I realized that I had all these negative, negative thoughts and beliefs about myself that I will not like up until, up until literal this year, um, my mindset was, I, I will always fail. So why even try that was, that was my mindset up until doing, I had like a really profound meditation and it really like, I don't know, I felt like I was getting heart surgery um, or spirit surgery, something, but it was like, this is how you've lived your life. And this is no longer that you are graduating from that phase of your life. And, um, you know, you are, you are now moving into the space of your gifts. And 
you know, if, if, if the world is going to change, then it starts with the individual. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely see in my adulthood, that paralyzation, I could not escape it. It even happened here in LA too. You know, um, when I first moved here, I was having panic attacks and I just, I don't know. I'm a very creative person, but when I, when I was in my depressive states, cause you know, depression kind of comes and goes in waves, it gets really strong. And then sometimes it's very subtle. Um, when it was really strong. Yeah. I couldn't do anything. Like I, and it sucked because I wanted to do things, you know, I'm, a, you know, I'm having these conversations in my head, like Deandre, why don't you just do this? Like, why can't you do this? And then there's another voice is just like, you don't even deserve to do this. You don't deserve anything. You know, I was told I was worthless as a child and I would never amount to anything as a child. And so, you know, getting rid of those, those deeply ingrained programs, that was hard. How do you feel like, so you start like you, when you moved out here, you already had a wellness practice. Mm-hmm. What was like the shift for you that really felt like you started to go deeper? Psychedelics or sh- mushrooms. Yeah. So I only did them um, from the get go by myself in my room. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> First time doing shrooms was by yourself in a room. By, my, by myself in my, yeah, I lived alone at the time. Oh my god, that's slightly terrifying to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody told me that they would uh they would help heal a heart they they would help heal um heartbreaks and like just like fix your fix your brain. And I was like, okay, it's either I'm going to literally like kill myself or I try this damn thing. What's the what do I have to lose? <laughs> um, but yeah, and I did it to heal a heartbreak. Actually, I had been carrying pain from a very quick yet like it was a two week, pretty much two week falling in love with this person. And they actually impacted me more than, you know, my year and a half long relationships. And um, yeah, so I cried like three months after that relationship happened. Um, And so, you know, I, but I realized that I was meeting her over and over and over again in different people. Mm-hmm. And I also, I'm not even going to blame other people. You know, I also developed toxic patterns because of the hurt, you know, trying to guard myself. Um, and I hurt other people because of that toxic pattern too. So I realized that that needed to change. Um, so I did the shrooms and immediately, you know, it's so crazy. I grew up Christian and I, I grew up very Christian. And then I became, I, told myself, you know, I kind of like told everybody else that I was um, agnostic, but I was really more so atheist. I was like, life was, we're just, we're just here to suffer and die. Like that. I was so, I had just such a morbid outlook (laughs) on life. Um, But with the first time that I did the shrooms, I felt just First of all, it unlocked my ability to cry. I cried for three hours. I played, so I played, and I'm like, this was all intuitively done for me. Like I had no instructions on how to use shrooms. And so I, I, I sat down, I played. So this, this girl um, that broke my heart, she introduced me to Sam Smith's music at the time. So that was when, you know, Sam Smith was really just starting to blow up. And so, you know, I was, we were always listening to Sam Smith together. 
And after we, um, you know, she uh, decided to dis- um, detach from me. She, I, I literally like just like use Sam Smith to cry all the time for those next few months. But then after that, you know, it was just like, I didn't want to cry anymore because I also like went back into that crying pattern. Um, with the shrooms, as I was sitting down, you know, I have my headphones in and I was like, you know what? I know, like, I've always been so connected to music and I know that music um, is so expressive in the, in the, in the sense of it can show you so much of your life. And so I was just, okay, maybe if I, you know, place these songs again, it'll initiate, you know, a response in my heart and I'll go back into that place. And that's what it did. I literally went straight back into like, it was almost as if I was living those memories over again. And I cried hysterically, but what was insane was through the crying hysterically, I actually started to laugh. So I was laughing and crying deeply. And it was like this profound sadness, but also this profound joy because I was aware of the sadness, if that makes sense. And then after that, like going through that little meshing of um, going through memory lane, uh, I had also realized that I was seeing symbols everywhere. I was like, what is this? And I only took, I think I only did a gram my first time, but the visuals were insane. It was like Aztec symbols everywhere. And I was just like, wait, why, why, like, why, why am I seeing these things? Like, I know that I'm hallucinating, like, this is a, you know, a mild hallucinogen, but where do these symbols come from? And why are they like, why are they so familiar? Um, And then after, so that was like in Texas and then I moved to LA and I had gotten deeper into it. And so I started just like doing solo self therapy, um, guided psycho psychedelic psychotherapy sessions for myself. And I would use 432 Hertz music and do 528 Hertz music. I would get a blindfold. I would get a blackout blindfold. I would uh, put that on, put my headphones over that and then just like set an intention of what I needed to go through and what did I needed to feel and move through that. And I, I'm telling you, I would roll over, like I would be in fetal position, feeling like someone took their hand and placed it into my stomach and just turned my intestines in circles and circles and circles. I thought I was going to die multiple, like the, there were multiple um, sessions where I thought I was going to die. But every time that I like kind of like made it out, I became a little bit more of my true, like higher self. And that eventually came to me um, doing 10 grams in a sitting. So I did like five grams is the heroic dose. And 10 grams is just like, (laughs) if five grams is already heroic, like that's already blasting you into space. 10 grams, but I was just like, I, I was listening to um, Terrence McKenna. Mm-hmm. And he was saying like, most people actually take too little of shrooms if they want, you know, if they want to have a life changing or healing experience. And what you understand about the shrooms and you understand about the word trip. Um, a lot of people are very scared to trip. And that's, and that's because, you know, the shrooms the way that they work is they don't give you what you want. They give you what you need. 
And in that, in that, in that place of not giving you what you want, then that creates a space of you not being in control or a perception of you not being in control, which in reality, we actually really aren't in individual control. We are reliant on each other. Like there, that's another whole another little topic. But talk about the difference of like, you know, you were very intentional about your shroom use, like very intentional. Mm -hmm. You had it laid out, what you wanted, what your intention was, blocking out kind of, you know, any other stimulation. Talk about the difference of someone who's like, oh my God, we're doing shrooms this weekend for fun (laughs) out and blah, 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 versus what you were doing and why it's different or why it's important. Um, So yeah, that's a, I, Hmm. (laughs) What I like to tell people usually when I tell them about my own um, shroom history is that I didn't actually trip outside until after, like even my 10 grams was inside. I did not trip outside until after I really um, found more, like that, 10 grams is what turned me from atheist to like understanding the universe as a living, breathing organism itself. Um, But what I tell people is that because when you're outside and you're like with a group of friends and you're just like, Oh, you know, I want to trip and I want to feel good. Well, first of all, the way that the body works, the mind works is when you're in these external environments, we don't know it because we're not aware of it. It happens on a subtle and subconscious level, but our body is constantly looking for, you know, other um, forms like what is going to attack us? Like, is there danger around? And so first of all, when you're in your home, you're not worried about danger around you. You don't, you're not worried about spontaneous people, you know, showing up and you having to, you know, change your energy, anything like it is a sacred and safe space when you do it in your, when you're in your own home. Another thing though, is that because of the external, even with other people is that you can become too external to where you're looking at trees. You know, the trees are beautiful to look at. It really is marvelous. (laughs) If you've never done, you know, done shrooms and looked at trees, I highly recommend it. But it does take you away from the ability to go a little bit deeper within. Mm. And so for me, shrooms are a, a medicine that shows you the universe that has been created inside of you. And you can't really understand that until you've sat alone with your eyes closed. Like the difference, I even tell people the difference between LSD and shrooms is 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 profound because LSD is so hyper visual that sometimes it takes you, it doesn't allow you to go into that deeper healing space just because you're just like, oh, I, you know, everything looks so cool. With shrooms, things definitely look cool, but it's not as visual so that it makes it a lot more um, introspective. And if you're going to do shrooms, you know, do them for the purpose of, you know, this, this is the greatest gift. you Healing is the greatest gift you'll ever get. There's nothing greater because that gives you an opportunity to step into this world and, and give, you know, like that's the highest essence is to give. And you only really get that gift if you're healed. And do you feel like 
all this transformation has kind of changed your purpose in like where you fit in the universe now? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, my purpose was handed to me. You know, my purpose was my pain created my career. You know, I, I say my, my sound Kalpa is to show human beings how beautiful and powerful they are and to stop. I, I seek to help people not hurt people. And we only, you know, that, that's really why, that's why I feel like my, what my purpose is, but also on top of that, my purpose is to use my voice to do that. So, you know, through the shroom experiences, I actually unlocked a powerful understanding of my throat chakra. You know, I've been singing for, you know, I used to do, um, I've never done like an official singing lesson or anything, but I self-taught myself by listening to like John Legend every day. And I would sing for like two hours, but that was my form of therapy before I knew about any other of these healing modalities. So singing was just something that um, helped me calm, calm down. And with the shrooms, I started working with um, vibrational tones in my throat, like, on, like even on those higher, on those higher doses, you can actually start to understand the metallic frequencies and all these other, you know, vibrational resonance that you can create with your voice. And I, when I came to LA for the first time, I went to see a psychic. And so I have never, I, you know, I never actually saw a psychic before. And she told me if I was going, um, I was here to do music. Like she said, she literally said, if you enter the music industry, that is how you would change the world. You are here to change the world with your voice. And multiple psychics um, told me that after that. And then what was even crazier was, have you ever heard of the Gene Keys? No. So the, have you ever heard of the human design? Yes. Okay, so human design, they're, um, they are interwoven together. So gene keys, basically based on the 64 codon rings, the genetic principles, we each have 64 you know, gene keys, um, but we each have different pronouns you know, in this life. Um, we have like 16 major gene keys, and that pretty much gives us the blueprint of our life. So on, on that gene key, on my life purpose gene key, it literally says voice frequency. Whoa. And I was just like, whoa. You know, this is after, you know, I've done the shrooms and all these things where I'm like, okay, the universe, like everything is like God is real. Like we are not just, you know, here to suffer and die. But that like hearing psychics tell me that. And then also like this esoteric astrology, you know, astrology system also is telling me that my life purpose is to use my voice. I was just like, whoa, this is insane. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely feel like all this healing work led me to understanding the gift that I've always had. And then how did you, I know, you know, well, there's a few things. You have this voice. One of the things I really like about you, especially during this time with COVID, Black Lives Matter, I feel like you've had a very strong voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't seem like you're swaying to any particular side in a sense. It doesn't feel like you're being affected by other people's point of views in a good way. You're very strong in your voice in that sense. And I've always really appreciated that, you know, and you're, you have no problems defending what your point of view is, no problems defending what your stance is. 
Um, and being okay if someone disagrees, disagree mm -hmm. with it, I feel. And I found that very impressive and great, especially, you know, I've said this a few times now, I'm sure people are sick of hearing me say it, but I <laughs> unity. It's been interesting during this time to watch how people have reacted to what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I find a lot of people have shied away from having a voice during this time, or they've gone more towards this kind of amorphous voice, leaning on the idea of spirituality, vibrating above everything that's happening right mm -hmm. now. Um, and so I really appreciated you having a strong voice. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's really it's really weird to now be seen as having a powerful voice because my voice was like taken away from me, you know, when I was younger. You know, I wasn't allowed to speak really. Um, and so now like it's just like the contrast. It's 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 really it's it's interesting to see how life can life always kind of shows us we can't get to the to the cidic. So the cidic, and I'm going to say like for the gene keys, you have the shadow. Um, so each each gene key has a shadow, a gift element. When so the sh the gift is only unlocked by be being aware of the shadow and transcending the shadow. But when you are in your gift, um, the shadow can still you know there are remnants of the shadow, and you'll still you know like like the healing modality, the healing journey is that it's not you inherit your gift and then the effort is over. It's like every day that's, you know, you are living um, healing. It's not just a one and done type of thing. And, um, but then after the gift in the gene key, you unlock the Siddic level and the Siddic level is like more so the enlightened version of the gift. And so for instance, my, um, so that same line of voice frequency I have a gene key called, um, it's the 56th, no, the 57th gene key. And it is called the gentle wind. Hmm. And um, my shadow for that is unease. But when I understand what unease does to me and why I am unease, you know, lack of, lack of security, lack of feeling like I have a voice and all those things, then I unlock um, the gift of intuition. And from the gift of intuition, when I understand that gift, I unlock the gift of divine clarity, where I really don't even have to understand my intuition anymore. I'm literally just living with it, mm. um, which is really, it's really cool to go back into seeing the, the contrast of my life of, I am almost living the exact opposite of how I was raised. It was like, I get to help people, even though I was told I would never be able to do anything. You know, I get to use my voice in powerful and expressive ways when I was told to shut up and, you know, never talk. And so it's like life can be very funny. <laughs> and also, but how amazing for you also to be able to teach without even realizing it, allowing people to realize you are never trapped by how you were raised. We don't have mm -hmm. to, any of us feel like, just because this is how we were raised or what we were taught that that has to be our thought process or the way we look at life or look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. Oh, and it just doesn't at all. You can recreate. Always. And it's, I mean, it's, you're such a great example of that and such a great then teacher because you've lived through it. Oh, thank you. Well, a lot of people don't really believe you can do it if they can't see that someone else has. Yeah. I mean, that was even me too. I was just like, 
Am I ever actually gonna heal? Like, am I actually ever gonna get into a place of that I'm not depressed? Like, I had no hope until you know seeing a few different other people do it, and and that's that's what somebody told me. The greatest gift that you can give to the world is to be healed because you now share an experience. Humans, you know, the human experience is really interesting because we love to relate. You know, that is, that is the high, I feel like that is one of the highest forms. Um, the highest essence of being human is relationships. And to build trust and relationship, you know, obviously requires time, but it also requires a certain amount of vulnerability. And those that aren't, you know, those that if, if someone did heal, but they weren't vulnerable enough to tell people how they healed, then they are actually stripping the world of their gift. Like they are stripping the world from the opportunity to learn from that person because everybody also heals in their same, you know, in, in their different ways. So for me, you know, not everybody's going to use psychedelics to heal. You know, not everybody's going to go straight into yoga practice to heal. Like, but they can, they can hear what I've done and, you know, take some little gems, you know, that's kind of what I've done for myself too. Like, especially with productivity systems, anytime that I try to do someone else's productivity system, it, it, it fails because I don't have like kind of a say within it, but I do know that if I look at someone and I see that it's working for them, I am so much more inclined to be like, okay, I'm going to try this, even though I'll probably make it, you know, somewhat my way. I still acknowledge this person as a teacher and I can learn from this person. And then I become the teacher. Yeah. And we can learn from everywhere and people mm-hmm. that we learn from ourselves constantly. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like your role has changed throughout all of this? I mean, I feel like the pandemic really changed things. Um, Black Lives Matter. How do you feel like mm-hmm. your role has changed? Yeah, my role has changed in a, in a sense of, I have been very neglectful of my skin and you know that like many people don't know this, especially if you're not black. Um, I grew up in a predominantly white suburb. And so, you know, a lot of the people that I grew up with really big, you know, Donald Trump supporters and very just, some people subtle racism, but some people also overt racism, you know, like really just like in your face. And so, you know, I, you know, I had to go through that and I'm also, but I'm also light skinned black. So also I even acknowledge that privilege. Like I have a privilege over not being dark, you know, skin, um, African-American, but I noticed as being an adult now and going back and looking I repressed so much of my, uh, of my DNA, you know, my, what I was here, I was born to be black, you know, I'm born to be this African-American man. Yeah. I was trying to become what made other people feel comfortable. And in this sense, what I'm talking about is make white people feel comfortable. And so, you know, I'm denying my people, I'm denying my culture, I'm denying what, you know, what has made me. And when black light, you know, when these things would happen, you know, I'm just, you know, I would really try to, you know, stay neutral and, you know, neutral sucks. (laughs) Neutral never changes anything. Um, 
and, and it was because I didn't want to offend, you know, those, those people that I had won their favor, you know, I had won their favor and, and I saw that that was the favor of, you know, white people was more valuable to me than anything um, when I, when I was growing up. And now, you know, as this, as I'm growing into this beautiful black man, I now get to say, I don't have to appeal to white people to have value anymore. And I can actually like look at my skin and be proud of it. Like I am, I am beautifully brown. And so now I feel like that has given me more of a purpose to serve my community. Like I'm doing 160 hour um, advanced meditation meditation teacher training right now and that's just given me like I've been meditating and teaching meditation for a few years now especially with like a yoga nidra training background but now that I'm going into a much more scientific um, method of of mindfulness and understanding you know even trauma like you know words are powerful the way that we use our voice our tone is powerful and to to go through this and, and learn as much as I can about changing subconscious beliefs and subconscious behaviors, subconscious patterns, because that is the number one problem for black people right now. It is not, I mean, like the system definitely, um, but also the system has programmed self-hate into the black community. Like we have never been, as a child, you learn, you know, most of our learnings are from our patterns are built from childhood. So from childhood, as, as black people, we, when we see white people, you know, getting all the limelight, then that makes us think that we are not deserving, that we are not worthy. And when you strip worthiness, when you strip hope from a human, um, that creates poverty. And that poverty, you know, it's not just poverty in, in wealth, it's poverty in health. It's poverty in, in, ment in mentality. And so now I feel like I am, you know, I, I feel this purpose of, I need to, you know, I need to go deep into these studies so that I can understand how to systemically help change subconscious beliefs and, and behaviors and patterns of the black culture, the African-American culture. So interesting because you said um, how you you basically would behave in a way to curry favor. Like mm -hmm. that's so interesting. Do you remember certain things that you might have done? Whether oh it yeah, it's like even as far as you know, saying. I remember when Trump became president. I would say things like, you know, Trump isn't the worst. And I was like, because I knew that my white friends would like give me more, like those people, the white friends that were more towards biased, I mean, like very hardcore right wing. Um, and, you know, they definitely do have signs of racist, being racist. And I would notice myself like trying to appeal to them. Like even my family was trying to call me out on, you know, just like, being lost in my head and you know i would just be like oh you know you're still in that poverty mindset you know you're y'all you know you're still playing victim and but i would say that what you're saying there though is you know, you're black saying that's a black family mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of the wellness community is doing white not white whatever 
I feel like that's a lot of what is happening there. That's yep. like, well, yes, because you're working from a lower vibration. If we could just speak from equality, that's a higher vibration that will change everything. And yes, on an energetic sense, there is truth to that. Mm-hmm. Live Like you were saying, you're working on grounding yourself in this lifetime. You're working on making sure you don't want to astral project. You want to be here. <laughs> yeah. It's like we're in a 3D, 4D realm here. So it's like there's stuff you have to navigate these waters in that sense too. You can't fly above them and think that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not like somebody that doesn't even... The way that I like to explain, oh, I'm going to tell you like one of my favorite, just like little, little mini stories. Um, this is how I like kind of explain my take on spirituality now. So there are two monks and the two monks, you know, are enlightened and they approach a river, but the river is too deep to cross. So they, you know, they need to get to the other side of the river, um, but the river is a little bit too deep to cross. Well, one of the monks has the gift of levitation. And so he walks across the water and, you know, or levitates, walks on water and gets to the other side while leaving the other monk behind. And so the, monk, the other monk does not have the ability to levitate. So he says, that is no way to cross a river, you know, come back. And, you know, the other monk levitates, comes back, you know, on the, on the other side of the river to be with the other monk. And together they walk down further down the river until they, they find a, a shallow part, a shallow enough part to cross and they cross together. And the monk, you know, that levitated, he understood the error in his ways. Like, even though that he could levitate, he was like, I will never do that again because that doesn't allow me to like, what is spirituality? if we can't bring everybody with us, if my spirituality does not work for everyone, then I feel that it is not, it's just not valid for me. Hmm. And I am finding that a lot within the well, you know, the very ultra spiritual fifth dimension type of, you know, spiritual kind of crew, crew crowd, where it's literally bypassing to be enlightened, to even get to be enlightened that is a privilege. You have to be privileged enough to come across resources and information to allow you to even start working on this work. So while we have, you know, black people, not even just black people, anybody that is in poverty with no resources of education, even like 3D education, like skip the spiritual education, like we can't even get them regular education. So how do we how do we navigate and say, you know, well, I'm, you know, I'm just on a higher path than everybody else where it's like, well, isn't the higher path to take care of everybody? Like, isn't that the highest essence? Yeah, I've been struggling with a lot. So I'm with you. <laughs> and also because the lineage of which I practice and teach in Kundalini is dealing with their own stuff of, you know, a lot of what they perceive as their guru, mm-hmm. um, you know, has a lot of accounts being brought against him posthumously he's he's passed away and it's just watching the behavior of how people are reacting to it has been really disheartening Mm -hmm. because i'm with you too where it's like well we're all human he was human like human stuff happens it doesn't mean teachings necessarily have to be discarded Mm -hmm. but to pretend that someone is above is going against the whole purpose of this 
this choice of lifetime that you've made. And exactly like you said, if you can't, I think about Jesus a lot. And I was not. I was literally about to say that. (laughs) Because I've really been thinking about Jesus a lot lately too. I'm like, almost everyone would look to him as an enlightened being and is and still someone that I think a lot of people, you know, look to. He was living in that world. I mean, he was in it. Mm -hmm. Floating above it. I mean, he was as in it as anyone gets and working through it and fighting for it and, you know, that, that's where I always get so confused. I'm like, mm-hmm. when did this become about just vibrating above and pretending none of it exists? Yeah, that you, you hit the nail on the head. Like I, I grew up Christian. So, you know, I know a lot about Jesus and that is constantly, I have never, I don't think there's any other profound teachings that have impacted me more than the teachings of Jesus and who he was and the embodiment of being equally divine, but also equally human. And when you understand that we are here to be human, then that, that also takes away the pressure to feel like, cause I feel like there's a lot of pressure when you enter these spiritual communities to be like, you know, what star seed am I, you know, all these things, what's like, okay, even, okay, let's say that all these things are true. All these possibilities are true, right? Well, you still have to deal with being human. You still so what? So what, yeah, you still chose this. So what are you going to do to be here instead of, because talking about, you know, Sirius and talking about Octurian, you know, all these things. Great. It's cool. It's dope. You know, I allow people to do what you do, but does it allow you to integrate, you know, with what is being built here. I mean, I'm with you. Anyone who listens to this regular knows I'm as woo as anyone gets. I love yeah. aliens, Syrians, all of it. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. I resonate with it. I joke. Mm-hmm. Anything about taking you out, that's the one I resonate with. <laughs> and just like you said, and I couldn't agree with you more, and I, I say it a lot too, you chose this lifetime not to be there. Mm-hmm. But here and there's a reason you chose it. So to deny the human experience is to deny the lessons that you've asked to have. And that's where I get like, you're missing the whole point. And I'm seeing entire <laughs> communities of people practicing spirituality, digging in so hard on it right now. And it's hard because they're doing it in a way where I'm finding people like flocking because they feel like they understand spirituality in some ways better than anyone. Mm-hmm laugh because I'm like, but spirituality, first of all, everyone, like you said, everything's a spiritual experience. Everyone is spiritual. How you choose to walk it is different. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, (sighs) pretending there's not the muck and the dirt and like uh, the uh, the hard part, it's it's, to me denying your spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... I actually had a really hard encounter with a, um, you know, somebody I regarded as a friend and, you know, we both are pretty connected in the spiritual yoga communities. And he actually, you know, I tried to have a civilized conversation with him and um, he ended up, this is something that I, that, even within me. And I only, you know, I recognize it in him a lot because so my human design as like human design, I'm a projector. So, Oh really? That's amazing. Heck yeah. So I'm a projector. And so, you know, I really 
I can either project my own energies or I can take in somebody's energy and understand it and see it and how it relates to me. And so at one point when I was doing, you know, all these shrooms and all these, all these medicines, as powerful as medicine is, if you don't do the work to integrate and ground into it, it can, you know, we, we always joke about, or some people are serious, you know, about losing the ego, but you can actually, if you're not careful, you create an even more toxic ego. Um, you create an entirely different beast of an ego that is now both intoxicated by the, by the perception of the spiritual power and then also now looking at humans is less. You know, I, I even, you know, once I got into that space of, you know, moving into the starseed world and all of that, I was just like, these, I was just like, I just saw myself looking at humans. I'm like, like humans, like humans are so toxic. Like why, like why, why do I have to be here? And I noticed that it can also become very performative. Like, spirituality now has you know become a skill or like it, you know it's become performative and i noticed it a lot in this conversation where i was talking about the differences between all lives matter and black lives matter and really just trying to help especially the spiritual community who likes to bypass black lives matter because all lives matter I'm like, okay, all lives, Black Lives Matter is included in All Lives Matter because Black Lives are a part of All Lives. So when we say Black Lives Matter, it's not taking away from All Lives Matter. And, you know, I tried to ingrain that. And he basically, it was just like, you know, go vegan if you really believe that, you know, if you're really for all lives, you know, even though you say Black Lives Matter, if you're really also for all lives, then, you know, go vegan. And so for me, I have been vegan before and I'm not going to say that I will never be vegan again, you know, but I do know that right now (laughs) in this, you know, in this time of my life that vegan causes so much inflammation and, you know, maybe I do need to take a little bit more time um, to integrate more studies and learning how to perfectly craft the perfect vegan diet for me. But at the same time, I do know that that also creates a lot of stress within me too of not, you know, being sure. Um, so <clears throat> I've been to different Ayurvedic nutritionists and, you know, they've prescribed that I do better with a, a bit of meat in my diet. And that doesn't take away from my spiritual experience. And so what he was trying to claim was that if I was really spiritual, I would be vegan. Like it was implying that you can't be spiritual without being vegan. <laughs> such a hard topic. And you know, I was trying to approach it with grace and was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to share, I want to share with him different spiritual experiences that I have. Like I have prophetic dreams. I have, I have, um, clear audience, you know, I have clear sentience sometimes. And I was telling him about these experiences. I was just like, but these are all while I'm eating meat. So it, it's just like kind of debunking what you're trying to tell me. And he replied with, it was just the most snarky comment ever. And it hurt. It actually hurt my heart. Um, he said, who tests your spirituality? And then put like a crying laughing emoji. And then he was like, where is your source tracker? And I was just like, does he this know that is, he eats meat? Huh? 
You know, the Dalai Lama eats meat. Yeah, I don't know, but she, I was just, I was so taken back. I was just like, okay, I understand that this is just now about bullying. This is about, you know, having a dominating aspect. Again, it's missing to me the whole point of what a spiritual lifestyle is. It's mm-hmm. not size fits all. And everyone goes about it differently. That's why there's different lineages. That's why there's different voices. That's why there's different teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why even there's different religions. And at the core of all those religions is a lot of shared stuff. Yep. Um, I heard a very, very popular teacher once say to a student who was struggling, just going through a lot of stuff and struggling, and they basically looked at the girl and said, well, because I guess she had been vegan for a little bit and then was also mm-hmm. eating meat. And it looked at the girl and said, well, your kundalini is never going to rise if you're, while you're eating meat. Until you're <laughs> and I remember being like, and then she lost it because in her mind, her guru has just shut her down and like mm-hmm. condemned her and made her look awful and told her she's doing it wrong. And it's funny, everyone around thought it was great, thought that was the tough love she needed. Mm-hmm. And great. And I'm like, but how do you know the teachers? Like, we don't know what this girl's body type is like. I don't know. She could be seriously anemic and might really desperately need meat. And then that might be exactly the wrong thing for her. Who knows mm-hmm. where she is in her life? Every, like you said, you might go vegan again. Like everyone's different at different times. And I don't know. To me, I'm like a spiritual teacher telling someone, unless you do this, you will never get there is, I don't know. I feel like the only time you can ever say unless is if it's about unless you heal your heart, unless you learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you learn to have belief in yourself. To me, that's the only time you could use the word unless. Unless it's about you and like going inside of you. The, that's the only time I feel like unless can work. All the other shit, it's like, it's, I don't know. That's, that's hard to hear, especially saying that you're saying that's coming from someone who's like strongly um, within the wellness community. Yeah, it's just like that. Inf- what were you saying? No, I was saying I just feel like that's becoming more apparent right now with everything mm-hmm. going on is you're seeing those influences and it's sad. It really is. And what's even, what hurts my heart a lot, and this is like different religious and spiritual people, um, you see that now I've always had a, you know, I've always had just a, such a hard time I don't even know if there's a is it, there's a correct word or like a English um, word, but just like a disappointment in a vast majority of Christians in this um, society, and now I'm seeing that a lot in the the ultra spiritual community too, where you know now that we have this coronavirus situation and with just the simple aspect of a mask, right? And I'm seeing people because they're seeing numbers and percentages and saying, you know, okay, just because this is, you know, less than a 1% death rate, and we don't need to do the bare minimum to take care of each other. And I'm like, I'm like, since when did human lives become a percentage number? And I like, that's the one thing that really hurt, like all these people that are you know, saying all lives matter and yet are willing to sacrifice lives for the sake of, you know, I understand the economy, like me and you as entrepreneurs and stuff like, like it's hard, but at the same time, we can rebuild businesses. We yeah. can, we can do, these are just material aspects. And we are, are, are literally saying that material is more valuable than, than living. 
And that's where I'm really hurting. Yeah, there was, um, it came out recently because Arizona opened up their school system and there were three teachers sharing a class. Mm-hmm. And all three teachers got sick. Mm-hmm. And teachers died. Now, by the way, and they were doing like, you know, the masks and stuff and one of the teachers died. And the other teachers were saying, please reconsider opening up because, you know, similar, it's not about the business, but they were saying we can always catch a kid up on education. Mm-hmm. We can always find ways to get a kid caught up. We cannot find a way to bring a kid back. And, and I, it, it's exactly what you're saying, which is there's other ways, even though it might be hard and even though you might be experiencing hardship, there's other mm-hmm. ways to build, but you can't bring the life back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. sad. And what life, I feel like what this pandemic is is doing is it's really i was actually talking to my friend about this yesterday is it's casting a light over these deep core shadows of of this society because now we are seeing that the manipulation of our current societal structure is that it rewards the individual over over being in the collective and so even like even these spiritual people that that do acknowledge that we are all one are still now prioritizing individual freedom over collective understanding and altruism. And that is one thing that I'm having a hard time because I even got influenced to be like, oh, the mask are just taking our rights away. You know, I got, I got into that little kind of QAnon um, PSYOP thing with the Trump and stuff like that. And I'm seeing, you know, some friends do that. I actually had like, I had a person who I, you know, considered a friend when I posted, I made a post about, you know, me changing my stance on mask. And there was a comment that said, you should stick to yoga and meditation and, you know, basically shut up with everything else, you know? Um, and I saw a friend like that comment and I, and, you know, he's in the spiritual community too. And I was just like, this is, this is like, it's really just showing so much of the, sh- like the shadows of our human nature or what has been built and ingrained into us. I have never been one to be super like political. Like I was actually pretty apolitical. Me too. And then one of my friends, I, there was one time when my friend told me, she said, or I told her that I wasn't into politics because I thought it was all a sham anyway. And she was like, well, you know who is into politics? Your landlords, um, your governors, like every, everybody that's basically going to use politics against you. They're using it against you because you don't care. <laughs> that's such a way to put it. That's so funny. <laughs> I was like, and I, that was the first time where I was just like, whoa, damn, I've been like there. She, she literally was just like, they're using your ignorance, your willful ignorance to control you. <laughs> and the whole mass thing, taking away the rights, I don't get, I get, you might not like it. I get it's mm-hmm. annoying. I mean, I, it is. I don't love it either, but I like, hate it. But it's like, how does it take your rights away? It's like, if you can breathe through it. Everyone who says you can't breathe, it's like, come on. I mean, like you can say you hate wearing it, but mm-hmm. to, you're going that it's somehow killing you. It's like, no, the virus is actually killing people. The masks aren't killing anybody. Yeah. There's not been a single person that has dropped dead from wearing a mask, you know, <laughs> they, um, you know, all these doctors are doing those oxygen tests of like, no, you're not, it's not changing your levels. I promise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can find different masks. Like I have a cotton one now that works really mm-hmm. well. That's not as constricting. So yeah. I, you know, and everyone needs to find what works for them. It's so funny. Well, I do appreciate that regardless that you 
because I know, I know it's hard, especially in this community to take stances. So mm-hmm. I have four quick questions for you. We call them our four. Okay. Um, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? First thing that I do when I wake up is literally just kind of close my eyes and feel what I am grateful for. Then I usually, I also usually go and do a little walk. Nice. What's mm-hmm. one thing right now you can't live without? One thing I can't live without is music. <laughs> What's your go-to right now that you're listening to? Okay, so I just um, I just discovered this artist named Kramonichi, and he is like soul meets future bass, like the best freaking chords with just this deep melodic voice. He 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 like literally hypnotizes me with his music. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah, Kramonichi. <laughs> teacher that has changed your life who would it be oh teacher who has changed my life you know i actually have never met this person um but rod striker rod striker you know with his power yoga and the four desires he wrote he wrote the four desires and that was actually my journey into becoming specialized in yoga nidra um when i read the four desires with all the sankalpa and things like that I wasn't even spiritual at that time. Um, I was still pretty much atheist, even though I was practicing yoga and stuff like that. I was really only doing it for the physical benefit and the, like the men- little bit of the mental benefits. But yeah, once I really understood, I went back to like Rod Stryker's teachings and was like, whoa, See, this is you. powerful. You'll meet one day. And if there's, I was going to say book, but you probably... Well, let's just answer. Do you, is there a book that you would be your number one recommend? Is that it? Or (sighs) let's see. It's so cliche. It's so cliche, but honestly, I get so many downloads every single time I listen to this book, the alchemist. It's funny. People, it's not cliche because a lot of incredible teachers say that. (laughs) So clearly it's doing something it's taught me so much. Um, I am so excited you're going to do your personal practice for us, which is five to 10 minute yoga nidra. I'm so excited okay. to get our schedule where you're also going to be doing yoga nidra. Yeehaw. Your workshop on August 8th, which is mm-hmm. going to be incredible in yoga nidra for grounding mm-hmm. with hopefully anyone who's listened to this knows why you were the teacher to teach that. And <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Is there anything you want to chat about as far as like what people can expect in the workshop? Expect a little bit of philosophy. Um, just about kind of the history of yoga nidra and why, like what are the deep, profound benefits of yoga nidra? I'll be speaking a little bit on those kind of like, we love the spiritual mind, but also kind of like the analytical mind. I'll, I'll give a little bit of um, clarity for the analytical mind as well. Um, and then, yeah, just to really drop everything that you think you need to be. Um, when you're, when you're practicing this practice, I say this to like any type of practice, you know, come to it and allow it to be an experience. Don't try to establish it as a good experience or a bad experience. Allow it to just be an experience that moves through you. Mm. I love that. And what a nice (laughs) personal practice here. You have been a pleasure to talk to. I'm so excited you're joining the Den family. I, your story is incredible and you have a lot, you know, everyone, you should follow him on Instagram because I feel like you teach a lot through your account. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, you do, which is really lovely too. And you're always not afraid to kind of, I mean, there's so many other subjects I want to talk to you about. 
kept you on for so long, but it's, um, you're not afraid to teach from your own experience. And like you mm-hmm. said, that's the only way to truly teach. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So thank, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So now DeAndre is going to lead us in his personal practice, which is yoga nidra. All righty. All righty. Okay. So wherever you are, Just allow yourself to get comfortable, preferably laying down if that is a possibility that allows a illicit relaxation response for the body. But if you are sitting upright, allow yourself to completely allow yourself to be enamored by sitting upright. So as you get into your space of comfort, make any slight adjustments that you need to find comfort. And as you softly allow your eyelids to close, can you feel the softness of your jaw as you relax the tension of the teeth? Can you feel the softness of the breath as it moves through your nostrils? Can you find this beautiful, sweeping, ease, sensation, move over your body from head to toe. And so let's all take a deep inhale through the nose together. And a big exhale out the mouth. Let's do that again, deep inhale through the nose. And set it free. Let it go. Now just allowing the breath to be calm and gentle. Like soft water. And so we are going to do a soft and relaxed body scan to get into the body and to feel the sensations of being in this gift. Your body is your home and your home is your divine gift. So as I speak over certain places and aspects of your body, could you resist the urge to move, but allow a feather-like sensation to move over that place. And so now bring awareness to the space of your hand, your right thumb, second finger, third finger, fourth finger, and the fifth finger, the palm of the hand, in the back of the hand, the right forearm, the right elbow, right upper arm, right shoulder, relaxing the right chest, softening down to the right hip, the right thigh relaxes, the right thigh grows heavy, softening in the right knee, the calf muscle, 
all the way down to the ankle, softening the sole of the foot as well as the top of the foot. As you bring awareness to the right big toe, second toe, third toe, fourth toe, and the fifth toe. The whole entire right side of the body is now deeply and completely in relaxation. Now bring awareness to your left hand, now moving into the left body. Bring awareness to your left hand, palm, then the thumb, the second finger, third finger, fourth finger, and the fifth finger, the back of the hand, the left wrist, left forearm, left elbow, left upper arm, softening the shoulder, and relaxing the chest. Sweeping your awareness, softening the left hip. And relaxing the left thigh. The left thigh grows heavy. All the way down to the left knee. Softening the calf. all the way down to the ankle. Bringing awareness to the sole of the foot and the top of the foot. The left big toe, second toe, third toe, fourth toe, and the fifth toe. So the left side of the body is now deeply and completely in relaxation. Now moving to the space of the forehead, relaxing that space. The right eyebrow and the left eyebrow, softening the space in between the eyebrows. The right eye and the left eye, the right cheek and the left cheek. The upper lip and the way it softly meets the lower lip as you soften your teeth and let go of your tongue. Your jaw melts. As you bring awareness to your throat, can you feel your throat relax? How do you speak towards yourself? Let your words be life-giving like water to a dehydrated body. Bring awareness to your heart that perfectly crafted beating melody in your chest. Moving through your whole entire body Understanding that it is beautiful and that you don't have to be perfect to be amazing. And slowly 
feeling the sensations of the body. Feeling the sensation of the natural rhythm of the breath. And maybe you feel buzzing in your hands. Or perhaps you feel like floating. Or maybe you're heavy. It is all beautiful. And take a deep inhale through the nose once again. And just allow it to move away from the body as you let it out the mouth. And let's do that again, deep inhale. But this time I want you to breathe in something you love. What do you hold dear to your heart? And then as you exhale, I want you to share that with the world. And then last time, this breath is just for you. Take a deep inhale. And maybe an audible, letting it out. You are the love that you seek. So seek within. When you're ready, can slowly start to move your fingers. Maybe movement in the head, the neck, side to side. Just soft, nourishing movement. And then when you're ready, you may slowly flutter the eyes open once again. And thank you for practicing with me. Namaste. Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.